Hi, uh, I'm Sonny, and I'm here to talk about Intense Connections. So, I want to start by getting you all to imagine an experiment. Let's see if this works. So, you're the researcher, and you set up a game of telephone. So, what that involves is you recruit a bunch of non-autistic people, and you put them in a long line. Okay. Uh, and then you tell the first person in the chain a story with a bunch of details in it, and you get the first person to pass it on to the next person, and to the next person, and so on, until you get to the end of the chain, and then the person at the end of the chain repeats the whole story back to you in what they remember and what they heard. So, then you recruit the same number of autistic people, and you do the same thing. You recruit another group that's equal numbers of autistic and non-autistic people, and you do the same thing again. Okay, so then you take your results. So you look at what people are reporting at the end of each of these chains, and how much information was lost, and uh, you compare them. So which chain do you think lost the most information? Autistic, non-autistic, or mixed? So this experiment was done recently by Catherine Crompton and Sue Fletcher Watson at the University of Edinburgh. And the results showed that the mixed groups performed really substantially poorly than the autistic and non-autistic groups, which performed statistically insignificantly differently. As part of the same study, Catherine filmed autistic, non-autistic and mixed pairs of people who hadn't met before, having a short conversation on a set topic. She then asked viewers of the videos to rate how well they thought the pair got on. So the results for that showed that observed rapport, so observed how when people looked at how the pairs got on, they thought that autistic pairs got on best, followed by non-autistic pairs, and then followed by the mixed pairs, which you know didn't seem to get on very well at all. So there's quite a lot of other bits to this study, and I encourage you to read through them when this talk is over. Catherine's quite good at making infographics, so there's some really nice results on all the different bits. There's stuff that involves building spaghetti towers and making a little dog out of shapes. It's interesting stuff. So given that we're all here at Autoscape, these results about rapport, people getting on well, might not be that surprising for a lot of you. I, I hope that you're all here because you want to be around other autistic people um, in an autistic space. So lots of us know how valuable it is. But for it, this kind of thing to be shown in research on autism is still really, really rare. Despite the fact that loads of us have been saying, hey, you know, we get on, we like being around other autistic people, right? So, I mean, it wasn't really that long ago that parents of autistic kids were told to keep their kids away from other autistic people because... I don't know, like maybe they'll get more autistic or something. What, what if they talk about their special interests? And uh, that's just terrifying. So um, even these days, actually, I've unfortunately met clinical psychologists and other autism professionals who claim that all autistic people hate each other. And there's no value to peer support. So while I think it's really, really good that this kind of research is happening, I know that a lot of the responses from the autistic community when it was when the results were published were, well, duh, what's the point of this? Water is wet, right? So, uh, but actually, I think that even though some of this is quite intuitively sort of right for a lot of us, 
um, there's still a lot of value that we as autistic people can take from it to start thinking more deeply about these and related ideas and what it means and also maybe influence more in-depth research in future. So it's also really important, I think, to acknowledge that not all of our interactions are easy or filled with excellent rapport all of the time. But perhaps if we take Catherine's results here as a starting point, we can start thinking more about why communication doesn't work so well between us sometimes and why people feel excluded or uncomfortable within autistic communities. So one of the things that I found really particularly interesting about Catherine's results was the strong rapport observed between autistic people talking with each other compared with the mixed and the non-autistic pairs. And that got me thinking quite a lot about intense connections and also the, the, the intense connections that I've sometimes formed throughout my life and that other autistic people have talked about for me. A um, bit of autobiography here. When I was growing up, long before I realised I was autistic, I was diagnosed at 28, um, I didn't have all that many friends, but I was quite happy about it. I travelled a lot. Um, I was mostly happy sitting in the corner of the school playground, poking at bugs and singing symphonies to myself and collecting rocks and looking for the shiny quartzy bits. Uh, there's a picture. Oh. I was not that small, but bugs were very big in China. Um, when I got older, in high school, I did, make, I did want to make friends, but found it really difficult. So I was bullied and rejected quite a lot by other kids. Um, but every now and then, I would form these really, really intense friendships or connections with certain individuals. This continued to happen as I grew up into an adult. Sometimes they'd be friends, sometimes romantic partners, sometimes mentors, and sometimes just passing acquaintances that I'd have this really great conversation with. What always stood out to me was the intensity of connection. I'd go from not really being that interested in people, or at least finding it all really difficult and confusing, to really loving hanging out with these people, caring about them, feeling understood. So much like I seemed to be reading wrong about most people, I was reading right about these people, and vice versa. They were getting me. I used to worry about this intensity quite a bit. I used to think, oh, seems a bit much, you know? I thought maybe something was wrong with me. Most people around me just had like had quite a few close friends and they didn't seem so like clingy and fixated and they wouldn't be so intense people were always like you're so much <laughs> um, plus it was just a bit annoying because I wanted to learn all the dog breeds I didn't want to bother about humans and then suddenly I was really caring about humans I'm like come on let me just read about dogs stop thinking about people um, like I should add that like when I was growing up um when I was a kid, I had this huge meltdown when we were travelling, me and my dad were travelling, because I had my first ever camera, and my dad took a picture of some friends and family with it, but this camera was only meant for dogs and animals. How could he take it? So, thinking back to all of these intense connections that I've had, I don't know if some of you can guess what I'm about to say. A significant number of these people, it turns out, have since either realised that they're autistic, all knew all along, or have since at least wondered about their neurology and relate to significant parts of autistic experience. Not, not all of them, but I think with some people I was just relieved to feel wanted and listened to, but certainly the ones where there was this mutual understanding, a lot of them were definitely relating to a lot of autistic experience. Or, or some of them were like, wait, if you didn't realise you were autistic until last year, what the hell? Um, so why are these, these connections so intense? Well, I mentioned that being isolated and ostracised can play a part, 
um, as well as this general tendency towards intense focus. But for me, also, I think, meeting someone who really gets me and who I find not actually so baffling um, was so rare for so much of my life. It was, like, it was like meeting another person who speaks my mother tongue. So it's like when you go and stay in a foreign country and you might speak the local language, but you can't truly express yourself. You can't truly be yourself until you're speaking your mother tongue with somebody else who speaks it. And just to have that connection, to be able to do that with someone else, is just so, so valuable. It's, it's intense for its rarity. And also, I think, I think it's a kind of love for people who are like us, um, or who are like me and who understood me. So this is my fourth escape, I think. Yeah. Um, I've done quite a bit of autism-related stuff since the first one including getting quite a lot of recently identified autistic folks together to share their experiences and talk. And in the last few years, I've seen a lot of people go through similar experiences of recognition and connection over all kinds of different aspects of their experience. My first thought escape was when I realised that when I'm around loads of like-minded people in a friendly space, I can actually enjoy being amongst groups of humans. I can even stay overnight and I'm not waiting to get away. Um, my first thoughtscape was when I also really started to realise that these individual instances of intense connection with other people could translate out to a broader sense of real belonging, something I hadn't really experienced before. Uh, Damien Milton, who's probably somewhere in here, um, introduced us to the idea of the double empathy problem, on which he presented at Autscape in 2013. He explains it as, simply put, the theory of the double empathy problem suggests that when people with very different experiences of the world interact with one another, they will struggle to empathise with each other. It also follows that people with very similar experiences of the world might find it easier to empathise with each other. So it's likely that most people who are neurotypical are already really used to this, which is why I think um, there's a belief by some still that autistic people aren't empathetic. If you imagine most people around you are largely in sync with your experiences and all of your sort of emotional, sensory, so on, reactions, then your guesses about others' internal states are going to be pretty accurate most of the time, right? They're like yours. Um, but that doesn't necessarily make you superior empathising. You're just getting it right a lot because the people around you are more similar. Those of us who are less like the majority might guess wrong more of the time, but it doesn't follow that we're less empathetic or less able to understand other humans. In fact, I think... One of the great positives of these intense connections that we sometimes form with individuals and communities of people like us is in creating a sense of that validation that we're okay as we are and that our experiences of the world, mirrored, related to and talked about by those around us, are real and okay. As autistic people, many of us have experienced repeated invalidation throughout our lives of our experiences because they aren't understood or don't fit dominant narratives. And all too often we can end up internalising this invalidation. So, to give a small example, for the longest time, I thought that not being able to hear in noisy environments was like some kind of personal failing. I thought I just wasn't trying hard enough, or maybe I didn't care about humans enough to pay attention. So I'd be like, pay attention, pay attention, and I just thought it didn't work. I didn't know why. And nobody around me seemed to understand. They, they said, oh yeah, we find it hard to hear, but we can hear. So it was only by getting to know other autistic people that I learned that sensory and multi-channel processing is a real thing. And it wasn't about me being bad or wrong. Uh, I think dominant, medicalised and deficit-based narratives really don't help here. Um, I've met autistic people who've been, who have been told and believed that they don't have an imagination because they're autistic. 
yet they make amazingly imaginative artworks. When I was first diagnosed, um, I took our supposed deficits in social communication interaction kind of at face value. I thought, oh, well, that kind of validates all the struggles. That, that makes sense, sure. It kind of also made me want to just give up on humans completely. I'm like, sure, fine, whatever, no humans. Uh, so it was a bit confusing when a few months later I came to my first Dotscape. I was like, wait, hang on. <laughs> this doesn't seem right here. In fact, I'm actually really confused right now because I'm so into humans now compared to a few years ago. That I'm just like, I actually want to like, just, I want to study psychology here, what? Um, so along with this invalidation, uh, sorry, along with this validation comes growing confidence in our identities, preferences and the truth of our experiences. And importantly, confidence in self-advocacy and the language of self-advocacy. I didn't just learn that it was a thing to not be able to hear in noisy places. I learnt how to speak up and to be accommodated. So I could say things like, hey, I can't process speech with so much background noise, I need to go somewhere quieter. Which before I just wouldn't have had the confidence to do because I didn't know it was something that I could do. I didn't know it was something that was okay. I learnt from others who experienced the same thing and over time through trial and error that specificity about the problem and what I need can be much more effective than struggling on in silence or giving up or saying I'm autistic and hoping other people would guess what I needed. Um, knowing what I actually needed and how best to explain it um, was also something that I could crowdsource from the community. So just discovering that we're autistic doesn't automatically give us insight into exactly why we might find some things difficult or what strategies or changes might help, especially if we've had years of being told that we're wrong and not had the opportunity to develop our own healthy coping strategies. And incidentally, too often we're told as well that our healthy coping strategies aren't good. People are told to stop stimming, for example. It's a process of self-discovery, reframing and self-understanding that I think can only really happen with the help of having like-minded people around us or those with similar life experiences to bounce off ideas and share. So this feeling of validation and belonging can be really, really important. When I was growing up, I travelled a lot between the UK and China. And being half Chinese as well as um, half European generally, I always assumed and was effectively told that my sense of alienation and disconnect uh, from those around me was to do with not being around others who are mixed like me. So one summer when I was 16, I was shortlisted for a team writing competition. I didn't win, but the win one of the winners read out his piece in front of everyone. And it was all about him being half Southeast Asian and half British. So I was immediately so excited. I was like, there's going to be this moment of magical connection. I need to meet him. So at the end of the whole thing, I went up to meet him, and uh, yeah, it was really super awkward. It was, um, I was just quite gushing and he ran away to be with his friends and there was no magic it was really disappointing um, uh, incidentally I put it down to him being Singaporean but uh, <laughs> um, uh, over the years I've met many people with similar parasitic childhoods so I've travelled around a lot and cultural experiences to me and while we found quite a lot in common um, these connections often didn't feel like they were helping me figure out the whole picture in many ways, I think you know, I've been quite fortunate with my autistic identity um, in that I've been kind of shockingly average. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I even score definitively highly in the AQ, which like, I know lots of, a lot of other people find kind of problematic in capturing their experiences. In short, for the very first time in my life, I experienced fitting in with the dominant narrative. 
I could talk about aspects of my experience that I previously thought no one understood, and here it reflected back to me by many other autistic people. I could try strategies like using noise-cancelling headphones, or getting instructions written down, or figuring out calming ways of stimming, and they often worked. It turns out there can be something really, really confidence-boosting about being shot in the average. But what about those people who don't fit so easily? Um, those whose narratives don't mirror so much with the dominant narratives within our community. I've met many autistic people new to their diagnoses or self-identification who start to question it and start to feel less part of the community or connected with other autistic people because something that's supposed to be part of common autistic experience doesn't chime with them. Sometimes this could be to do with not yet understanding how their experience is similar to what others are talking about. Uh, sometimes it could be simply that they don't experience these things. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not autistic. Some people, for example, don't experience meltdowns, and, mother, uh, and others might experience them in ways that don't really fit with dominant narratives of what meltdowns are like. So here we come to some of the pitfalls of these intense connections and the sense of belonging. Communities and identities don't have to be, but can be exclusionary. While many of us have experienced a lot of invalidation throughout our lives, it can be particularly devastating to have our experiences again invalidated by a community we feel like we're a part of. It's really important here, I think, that in developing our own autistic identities and connecting with each other, we're careful not to invalidate, invalidate others' differing experiences just because they don't quite fit with what we know. The autistic population is really super diverse, and many of us are very good at not fitting in neatly into any boxes. The reasons for this can be many and varied, from general variation between individuals to life experiences, cultural backgrounds, and all of our other intersecting identities. Actually, interestingly, one of the very few ways that I felt like I was kind of out of place um, and had frustrating assumptions made about me with, at Altscape was about my race and cultural background. Um, I remember looking around at my first or second Altscape and going, hang on, Am I the only non-white person in the room? Uh, I know that hasn't been true of every autoscape I've been to, but certainly the first or second. Um, culture can also bring up some of the ways my autism-relevant narrative differs from many other autistic narratives I've come across. So I've travelled a lot, literally since I was in utero, so travelling to new places really isn't a huge problem for me most of the time, as long as I have absolute control and I've listed everything carefully. But, but I thought I was really cool about it, and everyone was like, you're planning this so much. Um, my handwriting in English is pretty neat, but this is after years of being drilled in Chinese handwriting, which has to be really specific, otherwise nobody knows what you're saying. Um, and I had the worst handwriting in the class. Um, I kind of wonder as well if I might possibly have a less expressive form of delivery when I'm talking, if it wasn't for dramatic intonation classes that I had to have in China. So every kid in school in China has to have this where they learn and recite ancient Chinese poetry. It's partly a cultural thing, but also Chinese can be quite a monosyllabic language. So they get kids to kind of recite dramatic... I'll give you an example. It's easier. Okay. 床前明月光 I don't know if you can hear the dramatic, the drama in it. But anyway, it means in front of my bed the moon is glowing like frost on the ground. And it's, it's like a really, really ancient poem. So I think you know that most of these autistic stereotypes are not rules. Um, many autistic people love travelling to new places. Many of us don't have scrawly handwriting. Many of us are expressive when talking. 
And loads of us are the opposite of all of these things. And none of that makes any of us less autistic. There's no contradiction to having broad tendencies within populations alongside individual variation. So my perceived cultural differences was also how others often explained away my differences. Uh, so much like with anyone who came to last year's Altscape who saw Nat's talk about how their joint and mobility issues growing up distracted or stopped people from identifying their autistic traits, I've been told by teachers that my tendency to organise things must be to do with having grown up with communists. <laughs> uh, this, literally that was one geography teacher who told me that um, um, that my quietness in some classes is because oh those Chinese kids they're so quiet they're all really quiet but I was really loud in other classes so that didn't really make sense and I've read some interesting conjecture as well that eye contact maybe might not be so much of a big deal in East Asian cultures because eye contact can be seen as rude and I still kind of wonder if there might be some truth to that but this summer I went to Beijing and I met a group of autistic self-advocates and one of the first questions one of them asked was hey so when you're at conferences what do you do when people want to make eye contact with you to get your attention like or if you're trying to get someone else's attention and the whole group seemed just really baffled at the idea that autistic Chinese people wouldn't struggle with eye contact so I think you know there's there's quite a lot of sort of cultural assumptions that we might make that just aren't clear Going back to being the only non-white person in the room, um, I've been part of a lot of autistic communities that struggled with how to include more people from different cultural and racial backgrounds, as well as different class backgrounds and LGBTQ identities. And I think the challenge of fully including these intersecting identities is really, really important. And it can be really valuable to these communities to really take on that challenge. So people can feel excluded from our communities and identities because the dominant narratives don't fit with the other bits of our identity which is partly why, for example, we're seeing so much more now said about presentation, other presentations of autism, so like autism in women, autism in gender nonconformity, etc. However, even for those of us who don't feel excluded, the over-identification that we might feel through these intense connections can lead, lead us to erase or ignore other important parts of ourselves in order to fit. So in the past, I met people who I connected with and related to so rarely that I often thought I needed to be exactly like them in every way. I didn't dare to explore fully what my own preferences or differences might be, in case that somehow led to losing or breaking that precious connection. Even as I got to know lots of other autistic people here in the UK, it still took me a long time to feel that I could explore my cultural identity, because it wasn't something that the others I otherwise connected with so well could relate to. It didn't fit with other narratives. The people around me I related to and connected with most strongly were often white, non-binary, generally gender non-conforming or male autistic people, um, or those with related neurologies. So while I felt like I could start exploring my gender identity, I sat on my cultural background for a really long time. Um, I should add that it wasn't that anyone said anything bad or told me that I belonged less for being mixed race. It can just be sometimes so comforting to be shockingly average for a change that... Sometimes we don't want to give away that actually we're not all that average after all. Oh, wait, there's a slide. Ah. So that's uh, me just kind of trying to shove China away behind the it's not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't think about it. Even over the last three years of coming to Autscape, I've seen a change in greater inclusion of trans and non-binary identities. 
So people who have never thought or never had the safety to question their gender identity or presentation have been empowered to do so, not just because they feel they're in a safe autistic space, but because they're in a safe queer space, where questioning received categorizations and ideas about gender is relatively normalised. A safe space to explore means being able to be curious and to experiment and feeling able to talk about the experiences that differ without fear of judgment or exclusion. I think part of the problem can be assumptions. So when people make assumptions about my cultural background, for example, um, just as people do when people do that about my gender or my neurology, I might feel angry or frustrated or defensive or maybe invalidated. And I think a lot of you might be able to relate to that. Um, an example that maybe a lot of you will relate to is having people assume that you're less able or reliable at understanding a situation when they find out that you're autistic. So being autistic, being half Asian, being non-binary, all of these are useful names for various different bits of my identity and a potential starting point for connection. But they also tell people who aren't me relatively little about what it's actually like to be me. To find that out, you'd have to ask and I'd have to be happy to tell you. Embracing these Diverse narratives isn't just about inclusion. It's also about enriching our understanding of ourselves and of other humans. Just like the people who've been able to explore their gender identity more through being around others openly talking about it, we need to encourage and value more diverse narratives from all kinds of different intersecting identities. Because we're, we're diverse, but we're also connecting intensely on so much. We can be good at spotting patterns and good at not fitting into boxes. Many of us know what it's like not to have our narratives heard. So we could, as a community, be especially well-equipped to understand what it's like to not fit and figure out commonalities, investigate differences, and learn from that awesome diversity of experience. Uh, Damien, again, writes in a number of his pieces about the value to one's identity of constructing an autoethnography, a continually evolving personal narrative that is a conscious act of recreating the self from fragments of experience, rather than, imp than imposing a coherent narrative over time. I hope I'm explaining this in a way that's... Okay, for you. or being defined from the outside, which autism and autistic people too often are. He says, I'll read this out. As an autistic person, my own sense of identity is not a coherent one, nor is it a completely fluid identity. For me, memories and sense of self are experienced as fragments, painstakingly structured and constructed to make patterns. Such patterns are movable, yet they shift and alter each time one attempts to view them. I think it's really important that as we gain insights into the different parts of ourselves, that we also realise how these insights can shift and change our sense of who we are, and that we're able to allow for that to happen, also allow for that to happen with others. So what can we do as a community and as individuals to empower ourselves and others to do this? Well, I think, I think that we need to try to be mindful of this intensity of connection, and sensitive about not unintentionally or, or intentionally invalidating or undervaluing other autistic people's experiences, just because they don't immediately sound like ours. Especially people who are still new to their autistic identities or less confident in their self-understanding. So opinion or preference can too easily come across like judgment um, or a prerequisite, especially when people are desperate to belong and find points of commonality. Someone sharing with me, for example, that they like parties, and me saying, well, I'm autistic and I hate parties, might find that alienating. And I would learn nothing more about why our experiences differ, and it stops the conversation dead. Sometimes it can even turn into a fight. Being sensitively curious about why they like parties, for example, by saying, huh, what do you like about them, might give me insight into how to potentially enjoy them myself, 
Or I might learn that all their parties actually involve cute dogs and nerdly talking about special interests and eating nice food and making art. Uh, I'll be like, oh, that kind of party! Which, you know, I'd probably be quite into. Or they might just be really different in how they experience or handle social situations, and that's okay. Above all, I think that we need to try to approach others' perspectives and experiences with a sense of radical acceptance and trust. There is a reason any given individual is connecting with the autistic community, that autistic experience rings true for them, that they're self-identifying or wondering or have received the diagnosis. That's not to say that everyone's always right all the time, but it's not actually our role to judge. Instead, through actively listening to and accepting and being respectfully curious about our many varied experiences and how they are influenced by our other identities, we can better include other groups who are underrepresented, learn more deeply about ourselves, and also about what it is to be autistic. So I think if Catherine's study that I mentioned at the start um, uh, is representative, many of us might find connecting with other autistic people in general more intuitive and pass on information more effectively with other autistic people. So we can use that connection to learn rather than divide. And when that connection isn't happening, we could learn more through trying to understand why. Hearing about other diverse experiences can help all of us to be more truly ourselves, not just as autistic people, but as people at the intersection of all of our different identities. We can make these intense connections deeper and less potentially destructive or exclusionary, and more valuable and inclusive. <laughs>